I'd walk by him, and he'd be talking to someone, and I'd hear him, and he's making fun of me. So I, I finally said to one of the people there, I'm like, why does he make fun of me? Why doesn't he like me? I don't understand. They're like, how do you know he's making fun of you? I said, because I heard him. They're like, you speak Kamai? I'm like, no, but I heard him. They're like, wow, you're right. He doesn't like you. I'm like, what the heck, man? I'm like, what's the deal? So, uh, so I'm teaching on the father wound. We're, I'm ministering to the orphanage. And, and we, the kitchen's outside, and we're outside under this cover. And he, um, he's peeling potatoes, but he can hear because the translator's translating the teaching. And then I'm praying for this guy, and he's just weeping in my arms. And all of a sudden, I sense someone standing behind me, and I'm like, hmm. And I look, and it's him, and he's just standing there, like, kind of frozen like this, you know. Um, I'm like, do you want prayer? And he's like. I said, okay, just a minute. So I finished praying with this guy, and I sat him down, and I just, we had a translator. I'm like, okay, Holy Spirit, what's going on here? Like, how do I pray for this kid? And all of a sudden, he gave me download. I mean, like, everything about his life. It wasn't a, a little word of knowledge. It was such a detailed aunts and uncles who had abused him, and I mean, it was just so detailed. And his jaw was like, and he's like, how could you know this? And I said, I don't, but the God I serve does, and he wants to heal your heart. And he just began to weep. So I prayed in her healing over him. God healed his heart. And then after we're done, I'm like, now do you want to know this God that just healed your heart? He's like, yes. And I led him to the Lord. Like, inner healing as evangelism, right? Like, we think we got to catch the fish first and then clean them. God's like, oh, well, I'll do it the other way, too. Like, he doesn't care because he just loves healing hearts. So he wants to heal our hearts, man. And he wants you to go out and do it. Like, he said, go and disciple. He didn't say go and convert people. Go and make disciples. And this is part of the discipleship process, is, is getting people healed up and, and going out. Because I'll tell you what, when I started ministry in the 90s, a lot of people came from YWAM and other missions organizations so completely broken, sexually broken, burned out. And they came for ministry. I'm like, what the heck's going on in the mission field, man? And I realized what it was is people, all these organizations were sending people out broken. And then you get under those circumstances and the heaviness and the nonstop world of missions. And it'll all come out. You can push it down for a while, but it will eventually come out. And, and so get, get it now. Right? Get that healing now and bring that healing to others so that they can be free. So we'll make sure we get those notes to your school leaders. They can get it to you guys. I'm, I'm not kidding. You can go out and do this. It's powerful. And, and it's not about all your knowledge. You don't have to know everything. You just have to be open and willing, be honest and vulnerable yourself because that opens people's hearts. Like I, when I first came out of homosexuality, I told everybody in the world that I needed prayer because I was so broken. And uh, one of those areas where I was so broken was in my masculinity because I always felt like I didn't fit in. I didn't feel like a man, but I didn't feel like a woman. I, all my friends were women because the boys wouldn't have anything to do with me. So I played with the girls, but I, I wanted to be with the boys, but I didn't fit in. I was very uncoordinated, not good at sports. I was creative. I was uh, very emotional. Um, I, I started a couple, about seven years back. I went and got trained in 
doing the Myers-Briggs temperament test. Anybody ever take Myers MBD? Yeah. So I went and got trained in that. And uh, in the training, it was very extensive. They talked about thinkers and feelers, and they talked about percentages of, um, like, extroverts, introverts. 50% of people are extroverts. 50% are introverts. 50% of people are intuitive, and 50% of people are sensors. 50% of people are perceivers, and 50% are judges. But thinking and feeling is a whole different thing. And I'm a feeler. I'm an ENFP, party boy. I have fun, okay? If we're going to do something, we're going to have fun doing it. So that's me. Well, I'm a feeler. Well, only 30% of men are feelers. Only 30%. 70% of men are thinkers. So I always felt like I didn't, feel, I, I didn't fit in, and I didn't. I was right. Like, I was a minority in men. Donna is an ISTJ, exact polar opposites. So different, right? Not only is she a woman, but we couldn't be more different than we are. And she's a thinker. And 30% of women are thinkers. 70% of women are feelers. So she felt like she didn't fit in. So when you're a feeling man, you feel like you don't fit in. And I didn't feel like I fit in. I felt insecure in my masculinity. And I, I wanted to be accepted by men. But then it got all screwed up with, you know, sexual abuse and awakening things in me. And so I, I just didn't feel like I fit in. So as a Christian, um, when there would be, like, parties or fellowships at people's house, I'd be in the kitchen exchanging recipes with women while the men were in the other room doing whatever men do. I wasn't sure what they talk about um, because I was never in there. I was afraid of men. I didn't feel like I fit in, so I never hung around with them. And uh, I don't feel bad about exchanging recipes, by the way, because men, we can cook. I'm an amazing cook, right? That is, that is not a feminine thing, man. So... Plus, I like to eat, as you can see. So, yes. And my wife hates to cook, so it really works out nicely. Anyways, I digress. Uh, so, I never knew what men talked about. And now I know, because I'm, I'm in the world of men and women. If you've always wondered what men talk about when you're not there, I, can t I promise you it ain't deep. Most of the time, it is not deep. We don't necessarily go real deep. And we have fun. Um, we talk about weird things. Um, but it, it, it's so fun. I like, I, I, I saw these three little boys and they're talking about poop and I'm like, it doesn't change. Like we get bigger, but we still talk about poop. And my wife just shakes her head. Like what's, what is that? What is that? We, it was amazing. We, they asked us, uh, they asked us to go help this uh, DTS uh, leadership team because they were having a lot of infighting and uh, there were three leaders and it was a woman and two men. And so they said, hey, we're, you're going to go there and teach, but we'd like you to go early and kind of help them work through some conflict. We're like, great. So we get with the three leaders and uh, get with them separately. And the guys are like, she thinks we're doing stuff when we're not. Like we're planning stuff and we're just hanging out. The two guys are hanging out and we don't, she doesn't believe us. And I'm like, huh, okay. So I talked to her, and we talked to her, and she goes, I know they're planning things, and they don't include me. And I'm like, listen, they are not talking about this school when they get together. 
I promise you, they are not. She goes, no, I know they are. Well, miracle of miracles, the guys invite me to the dock. You would go to the dock and hang out. So we hung out at the dock with the, with the boys. And, oh, it was, seriously, I was in so much pain from laughing the whole night. I mean, because it's missionaries, and missionaries, missionary men, we have some of the best poop stories you will ever hear, ever. Get ready, men. Who's going to Nepal? You will crap your pants. So, it's, it's, it's not if, it's when, okay? You will sneeze. Oh, so you'll laugh. Oh, and, and don't even think about farting unless you're sitting on a toilet. I'm just saying. Don't even think about it. So I, that night I heard some of the best poop stories I've ever heard in my life. And the next day I went to her, I'm like, listen, they're not talking about the school. I had the best night of my life. It was so much fun. So, like, we're very different. And, and, but, see, I didn't know that, so I didn't feel like I fit in. I always felt like I really thought more like a, a woman than a man because I hung around with women. So, and then a miracle happened. I married a woman. And, and I, I mean, that's a miracle itself. But the miracle was I realized I don't think anything like a woman, like nothing. Like, I realized, oh, my gosh, we're so different. Like, it was almost immediate. I'm like, oh, like, wow. I think so differently. It was insane. It was wonderful, too. And, uh, and a little daunting because you got to figure them out. And that, that's, man, it's not an easy task. That's, Christ said, husbands, lay down your life for your wife like Christ loved the church. Because they are incredibly complex, beautiful beings, and we are not. And so here's the deal. Here's the deal. I know I'm offending so many people in this room. I'm sorry ahead of time. But it's just, we got to face the truth. Like, science is on my side, I promise you. So I'm in, the, I'm in a bookstore one day, and I'm perusing the aisles. I love books. I love bookstores. And I, I, I'll see a title that'll just pop out at me, and then I just got to look at it. So one day, I'm, I, I'm looking at the books, and this, this title just jumped out at me. It was, it's got to be one of the best book titles I've ever heard. And it was, this is the name of the book, Why Men Have Nipples and Other Interesting Scientific Facts. <laughs> and I thought, hmm, now that you mentioned it. Why do men have nipples? I'm like, really? Like, why? Like, we don't feed babies, so why do we have nipples? So I, I grabbed that book, man. I sat down, and I read why men have nipples. So, men, do you want to know why men have nipples? You think you want to know. Men have nipples, men, because we all start out female. It's true. It's true. We don't have our boy bits. We have nipples. We do have different chromosomes. And the mom's body, without knowing it, unconsciously goes, oh, it's a boy. 
and a massive testosterone bath goes flooding through that little baby thing. And, and we grow little boy bits. And it destroys many of the connections between the right and left hemispheres. It does. And I'm like, God, why did you do that? Like, women, you thought men are brain damaged? We are. Like, it's true. It really is true. And I couldn't figure it out. I'm like, God, why did you do that? But it's because men, we have, a, we can, we have the ability, because a lot of those feeling emotional things don't go like crazy, we can focus on one thing and do one thing really, really, really well, okay? Because the way our brains are wired, okay? Women, they can multitask, and it just astounds me. Like, you could, I, I watch, and I, I can't multitask at all. Like, I, my kids knew that, too, when they were young. Like, if I was doing my emails, they're like, hey, can I take 20 bucks off the dresser? And I'd be like, uh-huh, you know, because I can't. I can't listen and do an email, right? Like, they, if they really needed my attention, they would say, Papa, look at me. Put your hands down and look at me. Because <laughs> I had to be focused right on them, right? Um, so I can't multitask. A woman, she can have a baby on her hip, cooking dinner, talking on the phone with her best friend, talking about deep, deep things. Men, we can talk about deep things, but we drop the baby and burn the food. Like, we can't <laughs> do that all at the same time. And everything in our culture is trying to tell us we got to be the same. And that's wrong. It's wrong. And, and the message today about toxic masculinity, there are truths in the way that we've used our masculinity, our strength. Remember I talked about the father, that the father has the voice of authority. God has given us a voice of authority, but it's not for ourselves. Just like Jesus didn't take his authority for himself, it's for us to give to God and to others, right? But toxic masculinity is when we take that strength and use it for ourselves. But there's almost this, this pressure on men today to feel bad for being men. And I think we have to break that mold in the church if we're going to break it anywhere. And we have to come to a, an understanding of what is it to be a man, a godly man? What is godly masculinity? And I had to go on that journey probably more than anyone else because I felt so insecure in my masculinity. And so I had to cry out to him all the more because I was so confused about that. And God took me on that journey. He began to show me. I started looking into the word of God. I'm like, Lord, you got to show me what it is to be a man of God, what it is to be masculine. And I, I started studying. I started looking into the word. I started looking to other people, too. I'm, I'm like, God, like I remember I was one day down. I went shopping. I stayed home with the kids. And I was listening to Christian radio. And there's a woman on there. And she was her name was Dr. Elizabeth Moberly. And she was talking about how people with same sex attractions often have a same-sex deficit. They didn't get the love they needed or the, 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 the masculine attention from their dads or, the or feminine from their mom. And so they have a deficit they're trying to fill in an in illegitimate way. And what they need is healthy same-sex relationships. And I thought, well, all my friends are single moms and my wife, so I don't have any male friends. That makes sense. So I, I prayed this prayer. I remember I prayed it. I said, God, 
Send me two men in the next year. No hunters, no truckers, no super macho guys. Can't deal with that. God, no men that struggled with homosexuality, but they have to be tender-hearted. Not too much, right? So within the year, he sent me exactly what I ordered. These two guys, they were tender, sensitive-hearted. Sensitive-hearted. They didn't uh, drive trucks. They, um, you know, they weren't super macho, and they were in touch with their hearts. And I built relationship with them, and it was safe, and it was good, and I was learning. And then God thought, "I'm going to stretch him." So this guy was singing in church. They had like uh, special music when they were doing the offering, and this guy sang this song. I'll never forget it. It was "Blessed Are the Tears That Fall." And he had a beautiful voice, and, and the song really touched me, and it made me cry. And so I went to work in the nursery, and a little while later, this guy comes, that guy that was singing with his little baby girl, and, uh, and I'm like, man, that song was really awesome, man. He goes, really? You think so? I'm like, oh, yeah. I'm like, you have a beautiful voice, so clear, so nice. And that song, it really touched me. It made me cry. He goes, are you serious? Really? You really think it was good? I'm like, Yes. He goes, man, no one told me. Like, I, I felt like I, I, I botched it, man. I'm like, no, it was awesome. Well, one of the things that men need, women, this is a clue for you, affirmation. Like, men need it so badly, right? And apparently, this guy didn't get a lot because he just attached himself to me because I affirmed him. You know, he was, like, so hungry for your affirmation. Except he was everything I did not want in a friend. He drove a truck. He wore boots and jeans and flannel shirts. He killed things and, 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 and ate them after he killed them. He, he drove a tractor and he liked it. Like, um, I'm like, I get driving a tractor, but do you enjoy it? Like, wow. He, so he was everything I was terrified of. But he attached to me. And I remember we were going to Toronto. The Toronto blessing happened. And we were going to Toronto. And, um, and we were going to take our whole prayer, prayer group. He was part of it. And he goes, eh, we don't know if it's God or not. Could be a weird. Why don't you and I go and check it out? I'm like, okay. Sign up. We drive there. Somehow, God must have blinded me to not think I'm going to spend the entire weekend with this guy in a hotel room, right? Like, I don't know why I never even, it didn't even enter my mind until we're unpacking in the hotel room, and then I'm like, oh my God. Like, I, I'm going to be with this guy the whole weekend. And I, I literally began to feel sick, and I anxiety, my heart's pounding, and I go in the bathroom, and I'm terrified. I'm like, God, I'm so scared. Like, I don't know intimacy with a man outside of really weird stuff, and I'm terrified. And God said this to me. Why don't you tell him? I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm going to tell Mr. Hunter that I'm scared. <laughs> right. So I come out of the bathroom. He's like, yeah, let's go down and get something to eat. So we're sitting across from each other, and he says, first thing out of his mouth after we ordered, so, Tom, what's going on in your heart? <laughs> I'm like, oh, dang. Jehovah Sneaky. <laughs> and I'm like, you really want to know? And he's like, yep, I really want to know. I said, okay, here's the deal. I'm terrified. I'm terrified of this. I don't know intimacy with a man that's not weird, that's not unhealthy. I'm scared. And he said, guess what? 
So am I. I'm like, really? He goes, yeah, I don't know intimacy with, with a man that's healthy. I, we, most of my friendships, we just talk about sports or hunting or, or you know, our jobs. I don't, we don't talk about our hearts, but I need this as much as you do. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm the same as him, except he kills things. <laughs> but I now have killed things, so. All of you PETA supporters, I just apologize in advance. I, I'm a member of PETA, people eating tasty animals. And, but, oh gosh, there I did it again. Anyways, started out with bunnies, then moved up to chickens and ducks. Yeah, a couple years ago, we killed the bull at our farm. I mean, that was awesome. Anyway, so... So God took me on this journey, and I began to look into the Word. I'm like, God, show me what, it, what biblical masculinity is. And I went to the beginning, because you got to start there. And God created Adam. There's a lot in that story of Adam that tells us about what God intended for masculine, masculinity, what it means to be a man. And he named Adam, and he called him Adam. And that name, it's a very old name. People argue about what it means, but some believe it means of the earth, which makes sense, because we have men have this deep attachment to to the earth. Like little boys just love getting dirty and, and jumping in puddles, especially if you tell them not to, and, uh, or if they're nice clothes. And th so we have this deep attachment to the land, to the earth, because we're made from it. Women are made from the side of man, which tells you, it tells you something. It's like um, men, we, uh, this is so, it's so interesting that something I learned is that women love face to face. Like, they can sit across from each other drinking coffee and just talking about their deepest things, right? It's so intense, like eye to eye. I, I learned that because I had to do that to make my wife happy. But <laughs> men, we're not like that. We're like side to side. Let's do things together. And in that process, we'll, we'll share our hearts, right? So men, we're made of the earth. We have this deep attachment to the earth. You know, you see the movies, I must have my land, you know, and we fight for the land, you know? There's just this attachment, right? And again, women, not that you can't, but men, we have this deep attachment to the land. And, and I remember I was, I, was, uh, I was in, you know, a kind of a Pentecostal church, and they always talked about heaven. I remember they would talk about heaven all the time, and we're just going to sing for millions and millions and millions of years. And I, you didn't dare say the truth of what you felt. I'm like, but what are we going to do? Like, really? We're just going to sing? Like, I, it was super ethereal. I'm like, that doesn't sound great. And then I, I went to IHOP, and Mike Bickle talked about, oh, heaven's just a temporary place. The kingdom of God is meant to be on the earth, and God's going to come and return to the earth, and we're going to be here. I'm like, oh, good. I'm not going to lose the mountains and the trees, and we're going to have jobs. I love that. I want to be a cheesemaker in the millennial kingdom. I do. That's, I, so we have this deep attachment to the land. Um, another word uh, that could have been the original name is Adamu, which means maker. And God made us in his image, and God's a maker and a creator, and so he made us to make. He made us to build. 
And there's something in a man that when we do something with our hands, there's a deep, deep satisfaction in our hearts. And, and say I built this podium, I, and I put my blood, sweat, and tears into this podium, and I got splinters, and, and I cussed, and, you know, I, I cut myself, and I do all this stuff, and I get done, and I step away from it, and I'm like, <laughs> I made that. I made that. And your buddies come over, and you're like, dude, come here, look at this. I made that. And they're like, no way. You made that? And you're like, yeah. Like, Whoa. You know? So he created us to make and to use our hands. And then he gave Adam a job right away. He gave him a job. He said, here, I'm placing you in the garden. I want you to tend it. I want you to take care of it. He gave him work right off the bat. Like we're made to work. We really are. Like uh, one of the deep, we get deep satisfaction by the work of our hands. We get deep satisfaction by doing a job well. And when we don't have those things, we feel empty inside. We really do. My brother, he was, um, he was married to a lady, and she, she milked the system. Like, she, everyone in her family was on Social Security disability, even though none of them were hurt or injured or anything. They knew how to work the system, right? So when he hurt his back, his back at work one day, so she's going to have him go on disability for the rest of his life, and he's 40 years old. So a year and a half goes by, and he, I'm talking to him on the phone. And he said, I'm so depressed. I'm like, yeah, of course you are. You're made to work. Like, go get a job. Knock this off. That's why you're depressed. God made us to work. And he didn't, and he got depressed. And he stayed depressed. God made us to work. He also said to man, go and take dominion over all the earth. Take it. And there's a, it's, it, it's a wild wild word it's kind of violent actually it's a wild term when he says take dominion it's a forcefulness so he placed within adam a wildness he placed within men a wildness and so much in our culture is trying to take that away from men it's it's telling men that that wildness like we're supposed to be just a little dangerous right not dangerous to people, dangerous for the kingdom, right? Dangerous for the things of justice. Like, like we're supposed to be that, right? Like, I always imagine, you know, the first two guys who came upon the Himalayas. And they look at it. Wow, that's really high, isn't it? Yeah, man, that looks dangerous. Yeah, it does. Hey, I hear there's no oxygen at the top, and if you go up there, you'll die. Yeah, I heard that too. Let's climb it. It was two guys. You know, they come to the ocean. Hey, wow, that goes on forever, eh? Yeah, it does. Yeah. Hey, I'm from Michigan. <laughs> I'm not Canadian, but in Michigan we sound like Canadians. So, uh, wow, that goes on forever. Yeah, I hear that it just ends and it, you fall off and there's dragons and they eat you. Yeah, I heard that too. Let's cross it. <laughs> Honestly, I read about, you know, the first explorers, they really believed that. And they still did it because they're men. Because they're a little wild and they're a little dangerous. So God placed that within us and everything in the culture is trying to steal it from us. You look at like, the dumbest thing in the world, and I believe it's not really dumb, it's, it's completely genius on the part of the enemy, is he came up with a thought, whispered it in an educator's ear and said, this is what I want you to do. 
take little boys, put them in a desk for six to eight hours a day and tell them not to move. What a dumb idea. What a dumb idea. Like, what the heck? Why would you do that? Like, little boys weren't meant to sit in desks. I don't think anybody was, but especially little boys. You know, and then you see in the movies, they're always pulling the girl's hair or dipping her hair in the inkwell or, you know, they're taking the gum from under the desk and making a statue. They're looking out the window, pretending they're Superman. Like, we weren't meant to sit there. And when we don't, they say, oh, ADD, ADHD, ADFD, FD. They got so many titles. And, and then they say, drug them, drug them. And they drug them. It's terrible. I, I met this man, and he ran a heroin clinic in California. And uh, he was talking to us, and he was, uh, he was ADD, diagnosed, put on medication. And uh, he said 98% of the men that come to him for help for heroin addiction were on uh, ADD drugs. And they've been taught to change their mood by drugs. So it's, it's like early on you learn that. And um, my son, my firstborn, was just the wildest child. Like, he didn't even walk, and he would make, like, steps and get on top of things. Like, he couldn't even walk yet. He, it was just nonstop. He never stopped moving. He exhausted us. Like, I remember we would just, like, lay in bed and cry and laugh at the same time because uh, he just never stopped, and we were exhausted. And um, then we, we decided to homeschool, and I would, like, I would, like, quiz him. And we had this oval table in the living room, and he would shoo, 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 just go around and around and around. And I would quiz him, and he would like, blat, give the answer, blat, you know. And I thought, good Lord, if he was in public school, they would have drugged him by now. For sure, right? But we just let him learn how he learned. And then by the time he, he graduated uh, at 16, uh, he already had two years of college done. And he graduated from college working 35 hours a week to pay for college uh, with a 3.85. He didn't have a problem learning. We just let him learn the way he could. So I, don't, I, I, I really think that ADD is just a different way of thinking. And, and we're trying to make boys be calm and sit still. And we won't get anything accomplished for the kingdom of God or for our families if we're calm and stay still. He really wants us to be wild men. And again, not in that toxic way. Not in that toxic way. Not in, in beating and grabbing what we want for ourselves. It's using that wildness and that strength to advance our family and the kingdom. Right? God wants some wild men going out on outreaches from this school. He really does. He wants some wild men laying their lives down for the gospel's sake, right? So we've got to let him do that and restore that in us. And, and you know, I get it with people that, that it, some of you guys are like me. You're super tenderhearted. You're like, gosh, this dude's scaring me right now with all this talk about being wild. And, you know, I was so full of fear. I had to let God break the fear in my heart so that I could be wild. And I'm really a wild guy. I'm not cautious anymore. I do really crazy, stupid things. And I don't care. I'll confront. I was terrified of confrontation. I would never confront. And then I blow up. 
you know, when I, it, it's just so messed up because I was damaged in my masculinity. And we get wounds to our masculine soul that keep us from walking in all that God has for us. A couple of the wounds, we're just going to look at a quick, few of them real quick. Um, oh, we got time. So one wound to the masculine soul um, that's very damaging to us is rejection. Men take rejection very, very hard. And, and again, not that women don't, but men, rejection is like one of the most critical wounds to the masculine soul. And when we're rejected by, uh, by one of the opposite sex or by our peer group, it's a deep wound. In fact, the number one people group in the world that commit suicide are boys and young men ages 14 to 22. And the number one reason is their girlfriend broke up with them. Now, girls, that does not mean you can't break up with your boyfriend, okay? Just be gentle. Just do it, do it as gentle as you can, even if he's a jerk. Um, but see, we take rejection really, really hard. And uh, I remember before I embraced a full, you know, homosexual mindset, uh, it was seventh grade, and just going to middle school for the first time, that's, middle school is just awful. Um, it, it was, did anyone have a good time in middle school? It's just, oh, wow, I'm amazed. Bless your hearts. Uh, gosh, it's so awkward. Anyways, so sociology class, there was a girl, three seats in front of me. Her name was Lisa, and she, I thought she was kind of cute. And uh, they just announced the first fall dance. And I'm like, whoa. I'm going to ask Lisa to the dance. And uh, back then, there was no texting, no social media. You couldn't do it that way. No Facebook message to her. A lot of times, you'd write a note and give it to her. Or you'd write a note, give it to a friend to give it to her. That was kind of the normal way. Uh, nope, I'm not doing that. I'm just going to go right up to her and ask her. So I did. And I said, hey, Lisa, the dance is next week. Would you, would you go to the dance with me? And she looked at me and said, I wouldn't go with you. <laughs> Lisa. Oh, Lisa. Oh. There were so many ways she could have said that that would have been a little easier on my poor soul. Uh, so I'm not saying that I was gay because of her, but uh, <laughs> it, it probably didn't hurt. I, it was so funny. Years later, many, many years later, I'm fully out, fully gay. And again, I'm the party dude, right? So I want to go out every night. I want to go and party every night. So um, I'm calling all my friends. I'm like, come on, let's go to the bar. And they're like, dude, it's a blizzard. Like, they're, they're predicting 24 inches of snow in the next two hours. I'm like, so? Let's go. And no one would go. So I went by myself. And I go to the bar, gay bar, and I walk in, and there's no one there. Like, literally not a single person. I'm the only customer. And the bartender who's normally there is not there. The owner is there. And so he gets me a drink. And I went to high school with him. In fact, he's Lisa's brother. And uh, so he's wearing a full-length mean coat serving me drinks, and it's just me and him, so we get into conversations. He's like, so Tom, how do you think you ended up here, you know, being gay? 
I'm like, it's all your sister's fault. <laughs> Not really. But do you see how it, it, it really damages the masculine soul? That, that, that rejection hurts us so deeply. And so that's, that's one of the ways in which we're wounded in our masculine soul. Another way is uh, the father wound. You know, we talked about the father wound, but in terms of our masculinity, like we're supposed to turn from our moms at some point, receive love from her, and then turn to our dads. But what happens is we turn from our moms and turn to our dads, and there's nothing there. Either our dads, you know, were just a sperm donor and split, or they're there physically, but emotionally not, right? So what do you do? You have a couple of choices at that point. You can either turn back to your mom because you knew she was safe and she loved you, but no matter how great a mom she is, she can't show you what it is to be a man. She just can't. It's the bummer for single moms, really. They can't show them what it is to be a man. Or we turn to our peers, who most of them have the same void that we do, and they say, we'll tell you what it is to be a man. You drink till you black out. You have sex with as many women as you can. You, you get in fights. That's what it is to be a man. And that's the draw of gangs. Gangs are so big because they initiate you. They take you through initiation, and at the end you go, I'm a man. And I was teaching this, and this one guy, he had the teardrop. I don't know which gang that is, but it's a nasty one. And uh, so he had that, and he, he's, in the, he's in the thing, in the Pure Heart Seminar. And he comes up to me afterwards. He goes, totally true. He said, I, I never had a father figure. I felt so insecure in my masculinity. I was drawn to the gangs because they said they'll teach me how to be a man. And they took me through initiation. And his initiation was called 90. They call it 90. So you would stand in the center, and the gang would stand all around you, and they would punch you and kick you for 90 seconds, and you couldn't fall. You had to be standing at the end of 90 seconds. So you think, 90 seconds, that's not too long. It is when someone's punching you in the head. And he did it. He said, and when I was done, I knew I was a man. But it was a broken sense of manhood, right? Do you see how desperate and empty men are in someone telling them what it is to be a man? They'll go to great lengths. And that's because our fathers didn't teach us what it was to be a man. They didn't know, so they couldn't teach us. But we needed that, right? Another wound to the masculine soul is early exposure to sexuality, either through uh, sexual abuse. And, and the truth is, more men are sexually abused than are reported because men don't report it. It's much more shameful for a man to report. So there's a woman who did a lot of work with men who have been sexually abused. And the, the numbers are like one in five males. And she said, really, it's probably the same as with females. And it's one in three are sexually abused. But they won't report it. They won't tell anyone. And, and so that exposes you to sexuality. Song of Solomon says, do not awaken love before it's time. Something happens, especially in men, the way we're hardwired that we become sexualized at a very early age when we're exposed to it like that, either through sex abuse or sexual exp experimentation. I always say little boys do weird things, and they'll put that thing anywhere. You know what I'm saying? So it, it's just like, it's true, though. And, and so they, they just have this sense of I'm dirty, I'm sexual, this is all I'm good for. And 
or exposure to por pornography. Like, it's astounding to me. I, I, I grieve for this generation because pornography is just right there at any moment. Like, when I was uh, in desiring pornography, I had to go to the most seedy neighborhood in this dark-looking, scary building, and you had to kind of, like, wait until there's no traffic and run in so in case somebody sees you going in. Now you just take out your phone, and boom, there it is. And what it does is it rewires our brain, literally rewires our brain and makes us think that this is what I'm for. I must, that's all I am as a sexual being. And then we act that out throughout our lives. And it's a deep wound to our masculine soul. Another, another thing we don't have is initiation anymore. We don't have healthy, good initiation. And uh, I read a book called Adam's Return by Richard Rohr, phenomenal book on masculinity. And he's a Catholic priest, actually a Franciscan friar, so I guess he's not a priest. But, And he was like over this community of uh, Catholic believers, and they lived like in the book of Acts. They put all their money in together. They made decisions together as a, as a community. And at the meetings, he would kind of oversee the meetings. Only the women made the decisions, and the men never said anything in the meetings. And he's like, what the heck is wrong with these guys? Like, they're so passive. Like, there's something wrong with them. And he couldn't figure it out. And he really encouraged men to step out and be more aggressive, like speak out, share your opinion. But they were just so broken. And he, he began to realize something's wrong with, in the West, especially with masculinity, where we become passive. And so he started studying masculinity and how cultures instilled in boys and young men, a healthy sense of masculinity, and he found that there were these initiation rites. They were very different in how they were expressed, but they taught five basic lessons every time. No matter what it was, it was these five same lessons, and this is the five lessons, and I'll get you the notes. Don't worry. Life is painful. You're not that important. Your life is not about you. You are not in control, and here's my favorite. You are going to die. So encouraging, man. Don't you feel better already? It's like, oh, man, that's, those are good lessons? Really? That sounds horrible. But they're lessons that we absolutely need to learn because these tribes, especially in tribes, they recognized the strength these young men had, and they realized that that strength could be used in very bad ways, and so they had to teach them to use their masculine strength not for themselves but for the greater whole. And so they really wanted these lessons taught. So the first one, life is painful. That's just reality, folks. Life is painful. You're young. Some of you have already experienced that. And if not, you're going to learn it, guaranteed. I can tell you, I'm 58 years old. Life is painful. One promise you'll never see on T-shirts or on a refrigerator magnet at home that's in the Bible, although we should, is a promise by Jesus. And he said, in this life, you shall have tribulation. He's saying life is hard. And men, when life gets hard, we have to learn not to numb it. Because that's where, that's where we go, men. We numb it. We numb it with pornography, with masturbation, with alcohol, with drugs, with sex, we, with porn. We numb our pain. And, and we never get to a place where we just face our pain. And so this lesson was done in many different ways. Sometimes they did real elaborate tattooing. They would do scarring, like in the, all these patterns on them. But the most popular way was they would circumcise the young man 
like at around 15 years old, with this really wicked-looking knife. I mean, nasty. And he would have to, like, stand and hold a branch, and they would and cut that foreskin off, and he was not allowed to cry out, to make a sound, to cry. And they were trying to teach him, life is painful, you can't numb the pain. So, man, we're going to do that right now. Um, (laughs) You ready? No. That would be horrible. Um, But we have to learn the lesson, men. We have to learn the lesson because otherwise we are going to turn to the pain numbers again and again and again. So we learn that lesson. Life is painful. Um, The second is you're not that important. And what they wanted to teach them was that their their purpose was for, for the greater whole. You as an individual is not that important. You as a part of the greater whole is important. And so they gave them and instilled this in them through many, many different practices. Your life is not about you. Again, that their strength and their ability was to be laid down for the greater whole. And again, in the West, we're so individualistic, man. We just think about me, me, me. What's good for me? And it's so bad because we don't think about others around us. I mean, I, I travel all the time in airports all the time. Now, I'm a sensor, kind of intuitive feeler, right? So I sense all the time what's going on around me. I walk into a room. I can tell if somebody just had a fight. I feel it. I just feel, right? So I'm very aware of my surroundings at all times. Airports, people are the most selfish human beings I've ever met in my life. It's like they're totally disconnected from what's going on around them. And it's all about me. And I'm not kidding you. Even if they're not looking at their phone, but I want to slap it out of their hand so bad. But they're walking, you know, sometimes with their phone. You know, they don't, they're not even aware what's going on around them because everything is about me. Me. And this lesson is to teach us, no, it's not. Everything is not about you. Like our masculinity is first for God, the kingdom, and our families, then you. But see, it's not this horrible, sacrificial, terrible life. Because when you learn to do it, oh my gosh, the the peace that comes, the satisfaction, the joy. Like he always tells us, he makes those promises. The fruits of the kingdom are peace, righteousness, joy. Like when we do do it, it, yeah, it's hard. Sacrifice is hard. But when we do it, oh my gosh, the rewards are like unreal. And you're like, wow, this is pretty cool. Like living the sacrificial life, like laying my strength down for another is really pretty amazing. And, and on outreach, you're going to have a choice to either moan, whine, and complain or to lay down your life and see what God does. I mean, I mean, even on our outreach, it was 100 degrees, 98% humidity, no air conditioning. Every bug known to mankind bit you. Like, it was just, it was hard, man. And we, we came up with this deal. Like, we knew ahead of time it was going to be awful. And so as a team, we said, okay, we're going we're gonna to vow to each other that we're not going to complain ahead of time. And we also prayed preemptively, Lord, help us not be jerks. Lord, help us not to be mean to each other. Help us not to snap at people. Help us not to complain. So we prayed ahead of time. 
And we did this one thing. We went through the 10 key entitlements that Brian Brent teaches. Hopefully, he'll teach you that. If not, I'll send that to your leaders, too. And as a team, we, made a, we, we decided we would forsake these entitlements. And we came up with a little song. So if we started complaining, the rest of the team would sing this song. Entitlement killer. And you, you're like, when you were the entitlement person, you, you didn't think it was real funny. When you're doing, singing it, it was a blast. But, but when that person was hearing it, you're like, oh, like, yes, I know. I'm doing it again. But man, when we pressed through, the fruit was there, man. Salvations everywhere, healings. It was just amazing. And we loved each other. We're still all great friends. Even though we got on each other's nerves, we didn't let that take center place. So men, lay your lives down. Um, you're not in control. God's in control. When we relinquish control, there's so much freedom. But everything in us, especially when you've been wounded really badly, when you've been hurt badly or, or abused, you want to control everything, right? You want to grab onto control. But when we release control, that's when peace comes. That's when anxiety leaves and the enemy has no power over us. Fear has no power over us. Important lesson. And then finally, you're going to die. We're all going to die. When we're young, we don't think so. You know, we think we're going to live forever. I thought if I live to be 33, honestly, this was my thing. I'm like, that's so old. You know, some of you are thinking that too. Uh, it's not old. But I thought, oh, that's so old. I'll probably never live past that. I don't know. I always thought 33. You know, some people is 27. But, um, but I, always, I always thought that. But, you, but really, deep down inside, we think we're going to live forever. But you're not. You're going to die. And when we learn that we're going to die, we can die early. Like we can die in little ways. We can die to ourselves. We can die to our, our nasty, toxic emotions. Right? And they would do a lot of different things. One way they would do it is they would bury the young man alive and then pull him back out, and then they would give him a new name. And that's what the name he'd be known for, by for that from, from now on. And then they would go back into the village, and the villagers would come out to greet the new recruits, the new men. And the first person who would meet the young man was his mom, and she would pretend she didn't know him and say, I'm so-and-so, young man. Who are you? And he would give his new name, and she'd say, welcome, man. And she would be different. from The, the relationship was never the same after that. That wasn't her little boy. This was a man. Isn't that awesome? I'm like, dang, that's cool. So we have something like that in Christianity, right? Baptism. We go in, down into the water, and we come up, and we're new. And, and so we're going to die. Might as well do it soon in a good way, in a healthy way. Um, I remember I, I teach this a lot. And uh, if you had told me 30 years ago I'd be teaching men how to be men, I would have laughed in your face. I mean, God does truly choose the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. Um, because I was so insecure in my masculinity. I'm not anymore. I'm not. Like, I, and this sounds weird, but I love men. And, and it's not in that weird gay way. Like, I love the company of men. I love being around men. Like, I really do. Because I belong. And, and I, it's, it's like I'm part of the club. You know, I don't know what you call it. But it's just, it, it's like... All my best friends are men. Boys. Boys. I'm one of the boys. But I could never have imagined that 30 years ago. So I teach this all the time. And one time I have all these men up in front of me. And every time I do true masculine, I never know what I'm going to do. Like I always pray 
And he tells me during it, like when after the men come up, what I'm going to do. So I never know what he's going to have me do. And uh, so one day I'm just sitting there, and all of a sudden he asked me a question. Do you ever notice that Jesus doesn't make a lot of statements? He asks a lot of questions. And then they ask him a question, and then he throws a question back at him. Oh, gosh, confounds them. And they know if they answer it, they're in trouble. So they don't. You know, it's so smart. He's so smart. So God talks to me in questions a lot. And this is what he said to me. Tom, what was the most masculine thing Jesus did? Uh, huh. Wow. I mean, he is our example, right? So I'm like, wow, so many things. But gosh, I'd have to say when he went into the temple, man, turned those tables, upended them. He made a whip, kicked those bad boys out. Like he was, he was smoking hot. My house, my father's house will be called the house of prayer. I'm like, yes. And God's like, no, that wasn't it. I'm like, dang. Always get it wrong when he asks. <laughs> Teaching moments, they're good. And he goes, no, the most masculine thing my son ever did was when he stretched his hands out and gave his life willingly. See, that's true masculine strength, right? I mean, I, re I was thinking about it. I'm like, oh, my gosh, he could have just spoken, and, like, their cells would have come apart. It would have been like Endgame, you know, Avengers Endgame. Poof. You know, he could have just said, you, poof, and just taken them apart. Like, the, that's the kind of strength that he had. That's the kind of authority he had. But he took that authority and that power and that strength, and he laid it down for others. And he's saying, that's what I want to do in you, man. I want to teach you how to be like me. I don't want you to deny your wildness or your strength. I don't want you to give away your authority, but for my kingdom and for others. So, men, we're going to have a ministry time, and it's going to be very different. We're not going to have pretty music. You know, we're not going to do that. But we are going to have all the men come forward. We're going to ask the women. Before you come, I'm going to explain everything. So, women, you're going to go towards the back just like the guys did. And what you're going to do is, and uh, leaders, if you can kind of get in some of the groups, you're going to get into groups of like five or six women, and you're going to just ask God to show you any ways in which you've generalized men. Like all men are pigs. All men are this. All men are that. Okay. A lot of men are pigs, but not all men. Okay? Um, and, and, and when we get done here, there's going to be no pigs in here. And just ask God to examine your heart, because really, we make these inner vows, and they hold us back. They really do, women. They keep you back, too, and then you can't ever trust the man that God's going to bring for you, right? So, women, you're going to go back and do that, and when you get done, I want you to turn and, and pray for the men, and then, men, we're going to come forward. So, come on up. Boys. Boys.